How many of you have heard these phrases before? I'm fine. I'm five minutes away. No, you're not. Yeah, that makes sense. Your new haircut looks great. These are examples of the little white lies we can be tempted to say often. In fact, researchers suggest that most people lie about three times every 10 minutes. Three times every 10 minutes. People lie to strangers, they lie to classmates, they lie to friends, they lie to family. The fact is, guys, people lie. This isn't new news. It isn't uh, anything that we haven't ever heard of or that we're surprised about. See, we say honesty is the best policy, but we lie to save face, to avoid hurting people's feelings, to impress others, either in real life or social media, to hide misdeeds, prevent further conflict. See, we tend to lie because it works for us, temporarily at least. See, often, often, oftentimes our words, when tailored for deception, can cause harm, disunity, and distrust. But with our words, we can do the complete opposite. We can uphold the truth. We can speak to each other in a loving manner, and we can defend what is good. See, bending the truth may seem like it's going to get us out of this pickle. It's going to get us out of this hairy situation. But that isn't always the case. See, as believers, we find ourselves aligned with a new life that strives for truth. And we're called to uphold, we're called to uphold it no matter the consequence, because it's representative of our transformed lives. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. We're going to hear what Paul has to say about that. And as you're turning there, just a little tidbit on that. Paul wanted the Colossians to be recalling the transformation that they had undergone. And that was a life, an old life, a life of trusting themselves to a new life. A new life, trusting in the gospel, trusting in Christ. Let's go ahead and read that. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In this specific verse, these specific verses, Paul is focusing on the matters of truthfulness. And Paul gives us a small contrast within those two verses. That's the old self versus the new self. And when we profess faith, we are made new, which motivates us to no longer live how we used to live, to no longer have practices and old habits of that old self, but practices and new habits of a new life, of a new self. This should cause us to be striving to maintain the truth, to support the truth, to defend the truth, to be filled with the truth. Our first point for this evening is strive to be a truth teller. 
Strive to be a truth teller. Now, real quick, it's important to point out what Paul's talking about at the very beginning of this chapter. Okay, at the very beginning, since you're already there, chapter 3, I want you to just scope up real quick, just view up to verses, verses 1 and 2. Okay? Because in, verses, in chapters 3 of, of, uh, in verse 1 and 2 of chapters 3, he says, this is what he says. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So their, their focus was to be Christ and to embrace this new perspective through him. So their lives were now secure. They were contained. They were hidden within Christ. There isn't anything or anyone that would take that away or that would move them or could move them from that. See, Paul's reminder of this was because he wanted them to do two things. And it's just how he said it in verses 1 and 2. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. On true things, heavenly things, eternal things. So he wanted the Colossians' thoughts to shift from exactly that, eternal and lasting versus short, temporary, temporal things, earthly things. Since they had been raised in him, they needed to focus on those things. Not things of this world, not things of their old self or old practices, old attitudes or behaviors. See, then Paul begins to walk them through chapter 3 and what they do, they're to be putting their death, what, they're putting, what they, they need to be putting to death if they're truly raised in Christ. See, he moves from, in verses 5 and 6, from, from sexual sin, verses 8 to relational sin, and then right in verse 9, do not lie to one another. That's interesting, to isolate it from the other sections of vices and sins that we are to be putting to death. We are to be casting aside. See, while lying may not appear as bad as the other ones, the other sins that he'd mentioned, lying is a dangerous thing. See, being untruth, untruths break trust, cause disunity, and cause relationships to not function properly. And that's just at the surface level. Speaking of relationships functioning properly, I was in middle school, seventh grade, uh, and I was in this particular class. And we were taking a test. It's probably the first couple months of one of the trimesters. And right to, to the left of me is someone who I thought was pretty cool. They're up against the wall. You know, right next to it was like right here. You're in seventh grade, so you're already pretty tiny, so the aisles look like gigantic. So, you know, he's like, he's doing one of these things, like, and I go, okay, sure. This, this seems like friend material. And so I let it happen. I let him cheat. And it happened a couple of more times because I thought I was being a nice guy, and I thought I was cultivating this meaningful friendship. But I was wrong. I was, in, I was incredibly wrong. Because see, this, this, this friend of mine was, was using that, was taking, me, taking advantage of me, was lying to me. Right? He even made it, made, it, made it seem like we were going to be friends, lying to my face. 
See, what I thought was a real friendship turned out to be a lie. I was conveniently placed where this particular person could then take advantage of that. I don't know if he just didn't care, lack of preparation, I was just an easy target, who knows. But it left me with a bad taste in my mouth. I no longer trusted him. I didn't have trust issues, but it was just him in particular. So I can, I, that guy I will never trust. I will never be his friend. He's untrustworthy. But the joke was on him because he chose the wrong person to cheat off of. <laughs> C's get degrees, guys. I'm okay with that. I'm just kidding. See, that person didn't want to be friends. It was only a false appearance to cover their dishonesty, to cover their lack of preparation or whatever it was. See, and the one thing I learned from that was that I couldn't trust him anymore. He was untrustworthy, and I think we've all been there. We've all been there. Distrust of, one, distrust of, of, of many things, of many lies that can lead people to feel and, and believe. We, that's what we feel often, right? When we're lied, we're lied just straight into our faces like that. I can't trust that person anymore. See, which is why as truth tellers, lying is the direct opposite of how we should be living. When we're striving to uphold the truth, there's a couple things that we need to be having in mind, that we need to be pursuing, that we need to not be doing, uh, putting on. The first thing is when we strive to uphold the truth, letter A is don't use lies as shortcuts. Don't use lies as shortcuts. See, lying is always going to fear, feel, it's always going to appear like it's the easiest way out. But what's the big deal with taking a shortcut, even if we bend the truth a little? Am I right? See, we see a prime example of this in Scripture. And Abraham makes this mistake not once, but twice. He does this in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 20. And here he lies to both Pharaoh and Abimelech about Sarah being his sister. And it's within that lie, within that scheme, within that idea that he developed, I'm just going to say she's my sister. That way I'm not going to get killed. Right? The driving force behind that thought, behind that idea, was fear. See, his scheme was born of fear, which ended up turning against him potentially even jeopardizing God's promise to him. See, guys, when, when we are driven by anger, when we're driven to frustra- by frustration, when we're driven to some sort of emotion, when we're driven by fear, we tend to always end up trusting ourselves, taking matters into our own hands, and making things messier, making things harder. And then we're backpedaling, we're trying to do everything we possibly can to cover up this mess, See, we make situations messier for ourselves when we use lies to cut corners, when we use lies to take shortcuts. See, and those can be in innocuous, innocuous white lies, omitting important facts to avoid further consequences, misleading people, plagiarism. See, whatever it is, we're commanded to uphold the truth. And we're better off taking the long road than making a situation a lot harder for ourselves. 
So when you're tempted to add dishonest qualifications on a college or work application, right? You want to fluff it up, you want to pat it up. I can do Excel. I can do it. I know formulas, right? We could do it. Yeah, I'm going to add that on there. Yeah. I was in the chess club. No, you weren't. See, you're called to be honest. When you're tempted to leave out truth to avoid further consequences, you're called to be credible. When you're tempted to lie on social media about who you really are, you're called to truthfully live a life of a true image bearer. When you're tempted to shorten your school workload by copying someone else's work, you're called to be upstanding and trustworthy. When you're tempted to speak cunningly because someone wronged you, you're called to speak lovingly. And when you're at school, someone hears that you're a Christian, you're called to stand up to that and live a life worthy of your calling and not cover that up. See, while it does cost us when we're dishonest, it also costs us to speak the truth. Point A was don't use lies as shortcuts. Don't cut corners. Letter B is understand the cost of truth-telling. See, using lies to cut corners and take shortcuts is, is costly. But so is telling the truth sometimes. See, this is what Paul was warning the Colossians. He was warning the Colossians to do. Um, he was wanting the Colossians to do, to speak truth and not to lie. Because lying is living in opposition to being raised in Christ. See, our truth, our truth as believers, if you profess faith, if you're a Christian here tonight, our truth is, as believers is found in God. Because He prizes truth because He is truth. And anything dishonest or false is in opposition of who He is. That's why when we speak the truth, we do it even if it costs us friends. We do it even if we lose influence, if we lose our reputation. We do it even when things get lonely, when we feel excluded. We do it even if it costs a job. See, I think it's important to note that we must do this. We must speak truth in love. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So we're called to speak the truth, but to do it gently and lovingly. Because as Christians, we're not called to be brutal. So everything I just mentioned, don't lose those things because, I'm, I, 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 because you're known as the Christian who's just, you know, thumping people over the head with the Bible. You know, you're wanting to do it because you love the truth. You're filled with the truth. And guys, truth is often inconvenient. It's untidy. It's embarrassing, right? Because we twist the truth when we're embarrassed and want to cover up mistakes. And we can be tempted to bend it into something less awkward because then we feel better. I mean, here's, here's a doozy. What about lying to protect and maintain the truth? 
In Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, I got it up on the slide, specifically just verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6. We have Rahab, verses 4 through 6. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So we have Rahab, who hides Joshua's spies, is confronted from men, by, by men from Jericho. She says, yeah, they were here, but they, they left. I don't know where they went. You should go after them because you'll easily overtake them. But she, she'd hid them. She helped them hide. Was this a lie? See, she certainly concealed the truth. But the focus here, the focus here is, that, is the faith that Rahab had confessed and not the concealed truth. See, we could spend hours discussing the ethics and moral of, was this a lie? Is this concealed truth? Was, was she telling the truth? Right? But my point is that we must uphold the truth, right? She saw the truth that was the Lord and made that allegiance with her and confessed faith to the Lord. See, but in instances like Rahab, there are instances where it's permissible to use words to protect the endangered, even if this means concealing the truth, right? I think at the end of the day, it's, we, must, we must use our words to reveal our, alliance, our allegiance as, new, as believers, as having this new life in Christ who's the ultimate truth. Lastly, Scripture shows us just how costly lying is. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And that says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. While this is an extreme example, it demonstrates the seriousness of lying. Right? They didn't just lie to the body of believers. They didn't just lie to Peter. They lied to God. Right? And this is the opposite of a regenerate Christian, of a regenerate Christian life. And it goes to show just how serious this should be taken. See, God prizes the truth because he is the truth. So anything that is untrue, dishonest, or false witness is the very opposite of his nature. Imagine this. It's like taking just the cleanest glass. Cleanest glass. I'm going to rub some dirt on it. Right? Which is why we have, to, we have to wake up every morning and wrestle and struggle and be victorious over our sin, the sin in our lives, as, new, as a new life, as the new self. That's why... That's why we must, point number two, fight against the old habits. Fight against the old habits. Going back to our text in Colossians chapter 3, the second half of verse 9 says, 
seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. So he's just telling them, do not lie to one another because you've put off the old self with its practices. Right? You've, you've, you're shedding off. Once you've professed faith, you're shedding off right, the old shirt. You're shedding off the old ways, the old attitudes, the old emotions, the old behaviors. You should no longer be lying to each other, he says. This is because lying, along with the other sins he mentions, doesn't align with a new regenerate life that Paul's preaching. I think it's important to understand that the analogy he use, he's using isn't simply a resolution, a promise. Right? You're not trying to behave differently. Because as professing Christians, as believers, if you've professed faith, then that new life takes form in you, in you inwardly. See, this action is almost like a reflex of God's action in grace by the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. Go home tonight. You pack up everything, right? You and your family, your whole household. You pack everything up. You move it. You take everything, the whole enchilada, the whole lock, lock stock and barrel, everything. You take everything, you move it to a new household where you live a new life with new attitudes, new behaviors, new emotions. That's what Paul's getting at and taking off and shedding off, casting aside the old self. See, upholding the truth is commensurate with a genuine faith. Equals to, it's, it's, it's a long, it goes along with a genuine faith and requires us to come to blows with our sin on a daily basis. All right, guys. Ladies, same thing. I want you guys to picture, I know this is an, it's a noble occupation. I want you guys to imagine you're pig farmers. It's a no, don't, don't laugh, it's a noble occupation. People do this. They have to work hard at being pig farmers, okay? Just like this guy right here. Imagine you're a pig farmer. You come home from a long day of work, long day of work. Your boots covered in mud, right? Just imagine like it's making that, right? Covered in mud, your overalls, they're soiled because you're a pig farmer. And you're trailing in this, this nice, lovely, pungent odor as you walk in the, into the house. You go, okay, that's it, long day, put in 12 hours, you know, taking care of uh, Gertrude and, and, and Honeysuckle and all your pigs, whoever, whatever <laughs> names you want to give them. And you go to sit down, you go, oh, wait, I got a, I got a date with my girlfriend or my boyfriend right? Oh, I've got a date. It's late. It's late. I completely forgot, right? And then you remember, oh my goodness, it's at the fanciest place ever, Chick-fil-A. So you don't want to miss out, right? Because you've been excited. You're stoked to see them. You've, you know, you've been waiting for this the whole day to, to go see them, to be able to see them so you go like that anyway. You're like, okay, I don't have time to get. I don't have time, right? So I'm gonna go in my my, my my muddy boots, my filthy hands, my soiled overalls. It's okay. They're gonna love me anyway, right? So you show up, super excited. Like, yeah, Chick Fil A is just top notch. You walk in, everything's super clean, but you. You walk in, you see your go- your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Super excited to see them. You go, oh hey, it's good to see you. She the, she or he backs away. Oh no no no, like just backs away in disgust. 
See, obviously, when we're physically stinky, you know, and we have this date we want to go on, the first thing we want to do is take off the dirty clothes, go shower. We want to smell good. We want to be clean. We want to be ready to go have dinner at the fanciest place with our fancy date. See, we want to remove, remove all the articles of clothing, go into the shower and shower off because we want, to, we, want to look, we want to be presentable. We want to smell good. See, this is what Paul is getting at. This is what we, we need to be doing as, as believers in Christ. We want to make sure that we are putting on the new self. Just imagine having just that caked on overalls and it's like, oh, just, take, just taking that off and hopping in the shower and removing that, being a new, a new person, clean now. See, this is what we should be striving to when we claim to be believers. I've mentioned this already, but because truth is often inconvenient, we are tempted to bend it to make things less awkward, but this is out of place for us. Just like how we would show up to a date looking dirty, covered in mud. As Paul states, we have taken off the old with its old habits, with its old practices, its old attitudes. Since we have been raised with Christ and have taken off the old self, we have to fight the old habits. And we do this by avoiding, letter A, avoiding old lies. Avoiding old lies. As a people, we tend to twist everything and people by, and people by manipulation, because of anger, because of fear. We can list a whole bunch of other things, but we... Whatever is going to motivate us, whatever is motivating us in that particular situation will cause us to twist and bend the truth. And we twist and bend it to make it fit our own distortions. See, if we receive Christ as Lord, then we ought to walk in Him. And this means avoid justifying or validating dishonesty. Where at one point you would have been tempted to lie, you are now empowered by Christ to speak the truth. We avoid cutting corners by lying. Don't, we avoid, we avoid the, the, the corners, sorry, I said that wrong. We avoid the corners we cut with lies. Don't allow fear to lead your decisions and actions, but rather have full confidence and trust in God through those situations. And advance truthfulness advancing truthfulness. See, that is a life, that is living a life that is in line with a character, with the character of Christ and who he is. So as a new, a new believer, having on the new self, when, you, when you're asked, when you come across a situation at school or at work, or wherever you might be, at a family event, at a family function, hanging out with friends, Right? Put, put on that new self proudly because of the gracious gift that God has given you through Christ. So we avoid the old lies of saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not that much of a, a Christian. Right? No, you guys, you, you, you love the truth. The moment you are, you, you are brought to salvation, the moment you put on that new self, you're Christ's. 
So we do that with 100%. We do that at 100%. We do that with full focus, full trust, full confidence on who he is and what he did for us. Letter B is leaning into a faithful life. We fight the old habits by leaning into a faithful life. See, we're, put off, we're, we're, we're to put off the old self along with its practices. And as Christians, we're not to lie because truthfulness is essential in, in the followers of the one who is the truth, who's God. In Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. By leaning into a faithful life, we ensure we are speaking the truth. That is, we put off falsehoods to speak the truth because the truth unifies, the truth edifies, and allows us to grow as one body. If there's disunity or division because our deception, our dishonesty, as a body, that's not a working body. There's disunity. There's no love there. We're being dishonest with each other. We're not being real with each other. See, we're to discard the old. At salvation, we, we cast our old self away because lying is uncharacteristic of our regenerate lives, of who we are now because of Christ. Fighting our old selves can be hard, but something we must wrestle with, something we have to struggle with, something we have to consistently be victorious over. Just as Paul told us we were to take our, uh, off the old self, that means the old bundle of attitudes, emotions, and practices we used to have and we used to be. This is who we were before we were called out of the darkness and into the light. And with this new life, we must always remember. Point number three is be, be transformed by real truth. Be transformed by real truth. Looking back at our text, in verse 10, Paul says, you have put off the old self with his practices, in verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, Paul is explaining why believers should reject lying not just lying, but everything else he's mentioned in this chapter so far, and serves as an encouragement to be, to, to be embracing their new lives. And guys, this isn't simply enough to, to, to reject it, but requires believers to put on this new self. Uh, I heard it this way once, right? And it's, 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 it comes down to, as professing Christians, right? There's, it's almost like having a switch, internal, an internal switch, and that internal switch cannot be turned on by our own volition, by our own strength, right? It is only something that God can come in and do that. When he unveils and we hear the gospel and we repent and place faith in Christ and turn from our old habits and our old ways and trust him to allow us to be renewed in our thinking, renewed in our minds, and renewed in our new way of life. See, while the old self practiced deceit, the new self is based on true knowledge, which is, aligns itself with the person of Christ. 
The new life needs constant renewal or refreshing to remain victorious over sin. And this happens as the believer comes to a personal and deep knowledge and fellowship with Christ. This transformation isn't merely outward, but must occur occur inwardly. And as our mind continues to be made new by the input of God's word through prayer, through fellowship, our lifestyle will continue to transform. See, putting on the new self when we become Christians and we are at salvation, it transforms, it ought to transform the how and why we live. How we live why we live, and who we're living for. I think the most common day to make a change or to make, a, make way for new habits or new behaviors or, or, you know, picking up new ways of exercising is the New Year. Right? You guys know this. New Year's resolutions. I think everybody tries to make them, tries to keep them. Did you guys know that it takes about 18 days to 254 days to maintain, to pick up a habit. 18 days to 254 days. Congrats to the people who do it in 18 days. But I mean, how quickly does the, the yearning to change dissipate? Right? I mean, we try something, then for a few weeks, uh, we try something for a few weeks, only finding ourselves back in our old ways. Right? I, I'm going to run. I'm going to try running. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try for a marathon in 16 weeks. Um, And then you start running and you realize that, oh no, this was a mistake. See, being raised in Christ and experiencing a real transformation is more than a resolution. It's more than a promise to be better. We are made better because of Christ and not simply willing ourselves to be better or do better. So we are transformed by real truth when we're filled with truth. Letter A is when we're filled with truth. And that's an internal thing. Right? In Romans, in Romans 12, chapter 2, Romans says, I mean, Paul, Paul uses the same verbiage. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As believers, this, this occurs. Okay? We develop a desire for God's will and not our own will. See, we, and we have to understand that our Christian lives are a process. And to remain victorious over sin, we must constantly be filling ourselves with God's truth. Because in God's truth, right, when we open up God's word, we, we are able to then renew our minds. We're able then to discern what is the will of God. What is good? What is honorable? What is commendable? What is acceptable and what is perfect? So when we're filled with the truth, we, we're filling ourselves with God's instructions. Filling ourselves with God's instructions helps continue that renewal of our mind and wards off temptations to be dishonest or lie. Filling ourselves with God's statutes helps us reflect the image of our Creator and not the image we make ourselves out to be. Filling ourselves with God's commands helps us discern what's godly and righteous and not what we will, what we will for ourselves. 
The second thing, letter B, is we clothe ourselves with truth. This is externally. Whereas internally we're filled, we fill ourselves with truth. Externally we have to clothe, clothe ourselves with truth. Ephesians 4, 24 says, And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, the new self we put on upon salvation is created in the likeness of God. And this person is a new bundle of attitudes, emotions, and practices that we are called to become. Therefore, we must change our clothes. We must change the old self to the new self. Does this mean now as Christians we are rid of all our bad habits? No. It means that as God created a new person within us, He's created the new attitudes. He's created the new behaviors. He's created the new emotions. And we're free from, this, from sin's grasp on us. And letter C is, we love truth. And that is that we are motivated by it. When we come to love the truth, we are motivated by it. See, when we love the truth, we're, we're eager to be filled by truth to live out this new life, eager to be filled by truth to maintain unity because we are one body, eager to uphold truth even amid crippling fear that causes us to rely on ourselves, eager to live a, life, a new life for our Creator who graciously presented us with a gift to be raised in Christ, be free from sin, and have a new life where we can live for Him, trust in Him, and hope in Him. See, guys, we, we strive for truth. We fight against old habits and let real truth transform us by allowing that very truth to fill our minds, guard our hearts, and seep every single aspect of our lives. And that is continually filling our minds with truth about spiritual, eternal, and heavenly things. When our minds are filled with the life of Christ and the fullness of God our minds are renewed, freed from the lies of the world, freed from the lies that we're tempted to, 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 to deceive people with, to bend truth with. And out of this comes new attitudes, emotions, and practices which clothe us in righteousness and holiness, which allows us to live that life we're meant to live. We become a new life who has become the creation of God himself. Let's pray.